years ago, I realized that I enjoyed biographies. I enjoy learning without having to give too much mind thought to things. And so I do enjoy it if it comes in like video form, watching movies based on real events or documentaries that are done well. But I do also enjoy reading books since I started making myself read. I heard that it was good for you, so I started doing that. But getting to read about different people is somewhat exciting and, and learning new things. And I read when I was in third grade about a football player named Newt Rockney who went to the University of Notre Dame. And so I remembered that book. That was about the only one I enjoyed in third grade, but I still remember just learning about him. Uh, now I enjoy reading about other sports figures, especially if they're Christians. I love seeing how they get to live out their faith uh, in the interactions that they have. I enjoy reading about missionaries. Uh, I, for a while, read all about the Duck Dynasty cast just to see about them and, and how they use their new fame and what had happened to bring them to this point. I enjoy reading books um, about leaders and how it talks about men and women of greatness and what they have done, uh, what they have learned, and all those kind of things. And so I enjoy those aspects as well. I also enjoy reading about biblical figures. And some of that comes from scripture because those are biographies. But at the same time, I love it when someone has taken all the information from scripture and put it together uh, in some other kind of writing and just get to read about those people. Because when I read, I get to learn about them, learn things that I didn't know and things that they endured. I get to be inspired by the things that they have accomplished. And so I do, I get to learn where the first forward pass came from, not just in standing still, like the wide receiver runs out and stands still, but they have the idea, what if you were to run forward and you throw it to a space, and now that changes the game forever. Or I liked reading about missionaries who are sharing the gospel so much so that they allowed themselves to die instead of fighting back with those who were coming to hear the gospel, because they knew that if I kill them, they're going to go to hell and my eternity is already concrete, and so they choose to do that. Or reading about people who are thankful for fleas in the barracks that they are being forced to live in, all because it keeps the guards away, that they're able to have uh, devotion times and meet together as Christians. I enjoy reading about biographies. This week in the story, the title is called Paul's Mission. And if you read the chapter, you probably noticed it was a little longer than some of the other chapters that we read. In fact, Nick talked last week about the chapter that he had covered 12 chapters in the Bible. This week had parts of 33 different chapters in the Bible of it. And I'm just going to be honest. I'm like, where do I even start with that? Like with so many things to talk through, where do we start? Because so many of those things could be a sermon in and of themselves. And so I want to treat the sermon a little bit like a biography as we look at the life of Paul. Now, we're not going to look at his entire life because part of it is still written about in next week's chapter. But in looking at this life of Paul, I want to divide it into three specific sections. And so the first area that we're going to focus on this morning is Paul's background. And a lot of times in a biography, you do that. You get to see where they came from. So his background, who exactly was he? Where, um, you know, did he get the inspiration for doing such the great things that he did? And so if you have a Bible or you have your device, you can turn to Acts chapter 7 because Acts is going to be the majority of our verses that we look at this morning. But we are introduced to Paul in Acts chapter 7. And in this chapter, there's a man named Stephen, and he is standing before the Sanhedrin, which is a big word, but it's the Jewish ruling council. So he's standing before them, and he is speaking about Jesus. And the end of his speech, he shows that the Jews 
were the ones who killed the Messiah. And they did not respond well to that part of the speech. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54, here's what we read. When they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And the beginning of chapter 8 says, and Saul was there giving his approval to his death. And so we read about Paul, then named Saul, and how he was at the killing of the first martyr for Jesus, giving his approval. And only a chapter later, in chapter 9, verse 1, we're told that Paul is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. We read that he was given permission to persecute Christians, and on the way to do that, God did something that completely changed his life. And so in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 3, we read these words. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. You have to understand, because of this encounter with Jesus, Paul begins at that moment to begin following him. Now, he'd always been a follower of God, but all this talk about Jesus being the Messiah, like that was blasphemy. He was very zealous about doing the right thing, even to the point of killing these people because he wanted God's message not to be corrupted. And so one of the messages that Paul later writes, he actually gives his credentials. Hey, you want to know who I am? In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, he says, If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Now, you need to know these things would have been a big deal to the people who heard this. Like, people would look at Paul and say, man, he is someone that's got it all together. And if we were to keep reading in that passage, we would see that Paul's about to say, all of this is nothing, though, compared to Christ. But what I want you to see is that Paul was very passionate about doing the right thing, doing the best as far as for God. And he wasn't ignorant In fact, in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, we just see that he was trained under a man named Gamaliel, which when he mentions that name in a Jewish crowd, it gives him instant credibility. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Jerusalem, or in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. 
and all of this. I know there's a lot of scripture there, but I want you to know that the sermons that you've heard about the transformation of Paul are correct. Like there was this transformation from murderer to apostle. That is quite the change. But it's also important to see that he did always try to follow the ways of God. He had just simply missed who Jesus was, like completely. And yet when he encountered the Lord, everything changed. Listen to Paul's words in Philippians 3. He said, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider it a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I don't know, but can you hear that now it's not all about him anymore? It's all about Jesus. In fact, in Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Jesus completely changes Paul. He changes his heart. He changes his mission. And so now Paul becomes the voice to the Gentiles. Multiple times we read that Paul says his mission was to speak to the Gentiles or be the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, I don't want to assume you know what that word means. A Gentile is simply someone who is not a Jew. And so the Jews had been God's people throughout the Old Testament, and they were supposed to be a light to the nations all around them. But now the message of God was given directly to them that his love is for you. And that's good news for us, because if you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile. And God's message is that I love you. And so Paul, he ends up writing at least 13 letters that end up as books of our Bible in the New Testament, and they all speak of God's love being for everyone. Now, I don't know if you've ever turned to the back of your Bible and seen a map that looks something like this. Um, maybe your Bible has it, maybe not. Um, it may not mean a whole lot to you, but it's something that I like to have out when I'm reading through the book of Acts because it shows the path that Paul took as he shared the gospel with different people groups, different churches. I physically get to see what that route looks like. And those up there are called his missionary journeys. And even as you're looking at that, the fourth line ends in Rome as Paul's life comes to an end there. And again, the events surrounding that are part of next week's reading. But if you and I, if we were to take a step back to see the background of Paul, you would see someone who had been trying to follow God, but was misguided in doing so. But he encounters Jesus, and his life changes immensely. And he lives the rest of his life serving God and speaking to others about their need for a Savior too. However, not everyone loved hearing these new words about Jesus. It wasn't really easy for Paul. Like, it'd be nice to think that, hey, when we do God's work, everything should be easy because God wants his kingdom to advance, right? He wants more people to fall in love with him. But that wasn't the case with Paul. That's not the case with us because we live in a world that is full of sin and has been separated from God. And that's why the second area of Paul's life that we're looking at this morning is Paul's opposition, his opposition. And so if you're still in Acts, turn to chapter 13, because here we see Paul and Barnabas. They're traveling to Cyprus, and they are speaking to an important officer. 
But this man's sorcerer tried to stop him from being able to hear their teaching. And so in Acts chapter 13, verse 8, we just have this simple verse. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them. And he tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And so right after that, you see Paul looking at Elymas and he calls him out and he causes him to become blind for a while. Now, needless to say, the officer who sees this ends up believing in Jesus, but the opposition is not done. In fact, after this, we read of Paul heading to Pisidia, Antioch, and they preach to the people and many people believe and they are honored to hear the truth, but not everyone. And so in chapter 13, verse 49 and 50, we see that the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from the region. In fact, right after this, Paul and Barnabas then go to this place called Iconium, and right at the beginning of chapter 14, it says, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the synagogue. Uh, there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed but the Jews who refused to believe, they stirred up the Gentiles and they poisoned their minds against the brothers. And then in verse four, the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. And there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. And so immediately hearing of this, they get out of there and they go to this place called Lystra where they heal a man who could not walk. And the people see this miracle and they begin equating these men as gods. And they begin to try to worship them and almost bring sacrifices to them. But Paul and his group, they stop this from happening. And then listen again to what happens in chapter 14, starting at verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, and they dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. I don't know if you're just hearing all these things, just kind of one right after another, but I get the impression that this was not easy. Like just continuing to stand up preaching the truth. And in this moment, the people think that they have killed Paul. And yet he chooses to keep going. In chapter 16 of Acts, we read about Paul. He's in this place called Philippi. And they cast a spirit out of a young girl. And somehow, you know, this spirit had been able to make this girl be able to see the future, to speak about the future. And the parents are mad at this because they have just lost their source of income. And so this is the response that they have in Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 19. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And so the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten after they had been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving his orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in stocks. Like what's crazy, if you would continue to read that passage, you would see that these people who are chained up, 
are now praising God. And the jailer and his family come to know Christ through this moment. And yet, the opposition that Paul faces still is not done. In chapter 7, we see that there are Jews that come to Berea and stir up the crowds. In chapter 18, Jews come into Macedonia and they oppose Paul and they become abusive. In chapter 19, we see a riot that happens in Ephesus because people don't like that he's speaking against their goddess. And what is crazy is everything that I have just told you happens in the first seven chapters of of the scripture that we read today. And I want you just to hear what Paul talks about his oppositions and his sufferings from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. But he says, I am more. I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And yet, even with this big list of this is what's been going on with me, he says in that, I will boast of things that actually show my weakness because I trust in God. He's the one that has his hand on everything. Amongst all this opposition, he keeps the right attitude. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. You see, Paul carried out his mission of speaking to the Gentiles, but it was not easy. But he knew God was going to be the one to give him the strength to make it through. You see, if it was God's mission, the one that God wanted, he would provide the ability. He would provide the resources to get it done. And even that statement is a great reminder for us today. If God wants something done, he's going to make it happen. You know what? Sometimes as I read biographies or I see movies, there are moments that I kind of wish that I could be like that person. I'm like, man, that's incredible. This area of Paul's life, like his persecutions, that is definitely an area I do not want to have anything to deal with. I'd love to never experience any of that. And yet, I can guarantee that those times made him rely upon God in a way that you and I maybe never will, and maybe we never have. If you're living in some sort of difficult circumstances, I know that's not fun, but I would encourage you to see that as an opportunity. How can I hold tightly? How can I grow closer to God in a way that maybe when I'm living in those moments that everything's going well, I don't draw near to him? So, so far, we've looked at Paul's background, and we've looked at the opposition that he faced, but I want to end by looking at one last area, and that's Paul's message, the message that he wanted people to know. And again, there are so many topics. I mean, that's why we have Scripture, and you can read so many things, but I can't hit on everything, but I want to group them into three kind of categories that he says, and he talks specifically to Christians over and over again. 
He says, you know what? As Christians, we need to live together. We need to live together in unity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, amongst other places, he says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, all of its many parts form one body. And so it is with Christ. In that section, it goes on to talk about how all the body parts are important and we need to rely upon one another. The mouth can't be angry with the hand. The hand can't do the job of the mouth. And so we do. We have to live unified as one body, appreciating the differences, but coming together for a common purpose. In other texts, this idea about living together, we read about how we're supposed to live in peace and harmony. We're challenged to forgive each other. We're told to carry each other's burdens. And when you and I, when we live as one, it benefits you as an individual. Because at that moment, you're not alone. You don't have to face obstacles by yourself. And you get to find the joy of a sense of belonging, of being part of a community as you were created to be. And as we live together as one, it also benefits the other person or the other people because they get to experience the same things you do and they get the benefits of your talents and your gifts and your presence. And as we live together as one, it also benefits those who don't know Jesus yet because they get to see what Jesus offers. They see lives lived with purpose. They see real community, even amongst imperfect people. They see a grace and a forgiveness that no one deserves, but we all deeply desire. And Paul says, as Christians, we should live together in unity. But he also says, as Christians, we're supposed to live holy. That word holy means set apart. And much of Paul's letters are written because of specific problems in the church. And so often those problems are because people are choosing to live the way that culture says, as opposed to what God has designed. And sometimes the people simply didn't know that they were living incorrectly. There are times in life that they didn't know, oh, I'm doing something wrong. And that still happens today. There are times that we're just ignorant of the truth. That's part of the reason why we're hosting the Christ in culture here in a couple weeks. Maybe you've heard about it. But with all the events of the last couple years, it can kind of be confusing to know what exactly does the Bible say about certain topics? Like, how exactly am I supposed to be living? And so if you'd like to know more about what the Bible actually says, not just, oh, I've heard someone say this or this sounds good, then I'd encourage you, like, to sign up for this event. It's two and a half hours on a Friday and three on a Saturday. But it would help you to understand what the truth actually is. And so sometimes, even still today, people do wrong because they simply don't know. But if we're being honest, that's not the majority of the time. Usually, we purposely choose to do our own thing. Like, we just want to do what we want in the moment. And so Paul, in those letters to Christians, he's writing, hey, you need to watch what you say. You need to abstain from sexual immorality. You need to keep a hold of your tempers. You need to not be involved in addictions. You need to not worship other gods. You need to not look towards other people with envy. You need to not think too highly of your own self and so much more. One of the main messages that Paul says to Christians is that you, as individuals and as the church, you are to be different than the world. We should live in a way that people see the differences and they want to know what's going on. But it's not just that. You see, as you and I, we live holy lives without evil 
surrounding us and, and constantly influencing us, we get to experience that which God wants for us to know and us to feel. So Paul says, live holy. And then the last thing that he tells us after living in unity and living holy, his central message really comes down to this. Live for Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, amongst all of his other teachings that he said, Paul states these words, starting in verse 3. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And so Paul says that Jesus, being who he said he was, is the most important message. He is the Messiah. He has come to save us. And as we choose to live for him, there is no need to be ashamed. We can boast in him and his strength. We can enjoy his grace and his joy that comes with following after him. We can live with a purpose full of confidence and a secure knowledge that you and I, we are a child of God. And finally, we can anticipate that he will return and one day we get to see him face to face. See, Paul with the background that he had and the opposition that he endured, he could say that no matter what the persecution, if you live for Jesus, he will not let go of your hand. He will not let you go. He will hold you up. And that's good news. That is good news for Paul, who lived it all the way up to the last day of his life. That's good news for those who heard Paul speak or originally read his letters. That's good news for us today. Because whatever the struggle that you may be going through at this exact moment, God is bigger. And whatever hurt you may be dealing with right now, God's love is stronger. Whatever fears or lies or shame are trying to pull you down and tell you that you don't matter. God has got his arms so tightly wrapped around you, whispering that I've got you. And so choose to listen to his voice, for his is the one that matters. And I wonder, if someone were to write your biography, do you wonder what types of things would be included? Like what kind of events, what kind of moments, what words that you had said, what decisions that you have made would be included in that? Like I love a feel-good story. I love stories where people endure difficult things on their way to succeeding. I love stories of faithfulness and even stories of reconciliation. But the ones that make me smile the most are ones that have eternal consequences. People come to know Jesus and it changes their life. People use their gifts to help other people. People make a difference in the lives of others for eternity. And maybe that's why I enjoy learning about Paul. 
But if some of those eternal things couldn't be written in your biography, I'd like to tell you that accepting Jesus as your Savior and by following Him, that allows it the possibility that it can be part of your story, that He wants to be the one to come in and transform your life to help you live holy and help you live united. He wants to give you a new life with purpose and hope and joy. And I would tell you this, that I hope, if you've never chosen Jesus, that you don't keep living your life as Paul originally did, where he completely missed the truth, even though it was right in front of him. And if today is the day that you want to begin following him, like we have our decision point that I'd love for you to get up and go to. Or if you're online, click on the prayer request and connect up with Sam. If there's simply something that, man, you're trying to live through and there's this weight, we are to live united and you want someone to pray for you, then I encourage you to go to the decision point as well. But God doesn't want us to live alone in silos. We are to live united and live holy and ultimately live for him. If you have a decision, I encourage you to go to the decision point during this time. The rest of us, let's stand as we sing to our Savior.